Section 30 of Four and Twenty Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Robinson. The Princess Camion, Part 1, by Mademoiselle de Lubert. Translated by James Planchet. There was once upon a time a king and queen who had but one son, who was their only hope. Fourteen years had elapsed from the time of his birth, and the queen had had no other children. The prince was marvelously handsome, and learnt with faculty everything they wished him to know. The king and queen loved him to distraction, and their subjects placed all their affections on him, for he was affable to everybody, and yet he knew well how to distinguish between the people who approached him. His name was Zerfil. As he was an only son, the king and queen resolved he should marry as early as possible, in order to secure the secession to the crown should they unhappily be deprived of Zerfil. They therefore sought on foot and on horseback a princess worthy of their heir apparent, but none was found suitable. At length, after a most diligent inquiry, the queen was informed that a veiled lady desired a private audience of Her Majesty on business of importance. The queen immediately ascended her throne in the audience chamber and ordered the lady to be admitted. The lady approached, without removing her white crepe veil, which reached to the ground. When she arrived at the foot of the throne, Queen, said she, I am astonished that, without consulting me, you have thought of marrying your son. I am the fairy Marmot, and my name is sufficiently celebrated to have reached your ears. Ah, madame, said the queen, quickly descending from her throne, in order to embrace the fairy. You will easily pardon me my fault when you learn that I have only listened to all the wonders which have been told about me to you as a nursery tale. But now that you do me the favor to come to my palace, I no longer doubt your power, and beg you will honor me with your advice. "'That it is not a sufficient answer to a fairy,' replied Marmot. "'Such an excuse might perhaps satisfy a common person, "'but I am mortally offended, "'and to begin your punishment I command you to marry your Zerfel "'to the person I have brought with me.' "'At these words she felt in her pocket, "'and, drawing out a toothpick case, she opened it, "'and out of it came a little ivory doll.' so pretty and so well made that the queen, despite her grief, could not help admiring it. "'This is my goddaughter,' said the fairy, "'and I have always destined her for Zerfil.' The queen was bathed in tears. She conjured Marmot, in the most touching words, not to expose her to the ridicule of her people, who would laugh at her if she announced to them such a marriage. "'Laugh indeed were they, madame,' said the fairy. "'Ah, we shall see if they have reason to laugh, madame. "'Ah, we shall see if they will laugh at my goddaughter, "'and if your son ought not to adore her. "'I can tell you that she deserves to be adored. "'She is small, it is true, "'but she has more sense than there is in all your kingdom put together. "'When you hear her talk, you will be surprised yourself, "'for she can talk, I promise you. "'Now then, little Princess Camion,' said she to the doll, Speak a little to your mother-in-law, and show her what you can do. 
then the pretty camion jumped upon the queen's pataline and paid her a little compliment so tender and so sensible that her majesty suspended her tears to give the princess camion a hearty kiss here queen said the fairy is my toothpick case replace your daughter-in-law in it i wish your son to get well accustomed to her before marrying her i think it will not be long first your obedience may soften my anger but if you act contrary to my orders you your husband your son and your kingdom shall all feel the effects of my wrath above all take care to replace her in her case early in the evening for it is important that she should not be out late at these words she raised her veil and the queen fainted with fright when she perceived an actual live marmot black sleek and as large as a human creature her women came to her assistance and when she recovered from her swoon she saw nothing but the case that marmot had left with her they put her to bed and went to inform the king of the accident he arrived in a great fright the queen sent everyone away, and, with a torrent of tears, she related her adventure to the king, who would not believe it till he saw the doll that the queen drew from the case. "'Just heaven!' cried he, after having meditated a little. "'Is it possible that kings should be exposed to such great misfortunes? Ah, we are only placed above other men in order to feel more accurately the cares and afflictions attached to our existence.' and in order to give the greater example of fortitude sire added the doll in a small sweet and distinct voice my dear camion said the queen you speak like an oracle at length after a conversation of an hour between these three persons it was decided that they should not yet divulge the contemplated marriage and that they should wait until zirphil who had gone hunting for three days, should have returned and consented to obey the command of the fairy, which the queen undertook to communicate to him. In the interim, the queen, and even the king, shut themselves up in order to converse with the little camion. She had a highly cultivated intellect, she spoke well, and with a singular turn of thought which was very pleasing. But although she was animated, her eyes had a fixed expression which was not agreeable, and the queen was annoyed by it as she began to love Camion and feared that the prince might take a dislike to her. More than a month had elapsed since Marmot had appeared, but the queen had not yet dared to show Zerfel his intended. One day he entered her room whilst she was in bed. "'Madame,' said he, "'the most singular thing in the world occurred to me some days since whilst I was hunting. I had wished to conceal it from you, but at length it has become so extraordinary that I must positively tell you of it.' I followed a wild boar with great ardor, and had pursued it into the midst of a forest without observing that I was alone. When I saw him throw himself into a hole which opened in the ground, my horse having plunged in after it, I continued falling for half an hour, and at length found myself at the bottom without any hurt. There, instead of a boar, which I confess I feared to find, I saw a very ugly woman who begged me to dismount from my horse and follow her. I did not hesitate, and, giving her my hand, she opened a little door, which had previously been hidden from my view, and I entered with her a saloon of green marble, where there was a golden bath, covered with a curtain of very rich stuff. The curtain rose, and I saw in the bath a person of such marvelous beauty that I thought I should have fallen to the ground. "'Prince Zerfo,' said the lady, who was bathing, 
the fairy marmotte has enchanted me and it is by your assistance alone that i can be released speak madam said i to her what must i do to help you you must either said she marry me instantly or skin me alive i was as much surprised at the first proposition as alarmed at the second she read in my eyes my embarrassment and said do not imagine that i jest or that i propose to you an act of which you may repent no zirphil dismiss your fears i am an unfortunate princess to whom the fairy has taken an aversion she has made me half woman half whale because i would not marry her nephew the king of the whiting who is frightful and even more wicked than he is hideous she has condemned me to remain in my present state until a prince named Zerfel shall fulfill one of the conditions that I have just proposed to you. To expedite this matter, I caused my maid of honor to take the form of a wild boar, and it is she who has led you hither. I must now tell you that you cannot leave this spot until you shall have fulfilled my desire in one manner or the other. I am not mistress here, and Citronette whom you see with me, will tell you that it cannot be arranged otherwise. Imagine, madam, said the prince to the queen, who listened attentively, in what a state the discourse left me. Although the face of the whale princess pleased me excessively, and her charms and misfortunes rendered her extremely interesting, her being half a fish horrified me exceedingly, and the idea of skinning her alive threw me into utter despair. But, madam, said I to her at length, for my silence became as stupid as insulting. Is there not a third way? I had hardly uttered those unlucky words than the whale princess and her attendant uttered shrieks and lamentations which were enough to pierce the vaulted roof of the saloon. Ungrateful wretch, cruel tiger, and everything that is most ferocious and most inhumane, exclaimed the former. Thou wouldst then that I should also be condemned to the torture of seeing you expire. For if thou dost not resolve to grant my request, the fairy has assured me thou wilt perish, and I shall remain a whale all my life. Her reproaches pierced my heart, and she raised her beautiful arms out of the water and joined her charming hands to implore me to decide quickly. Citronette was at my knees, which she embraced, screaming loud enough to deafen me. But how can I marry you? said I. What sort of ceremony can be performed? skin me she said tenderly and do not marry me i prefer that skin her screamed the other and fear nothing i was in a state of perplexity which i cannot describe and while i considered what i ought to do their shrieks and tears were redoubled till i knew not what would become of me at length after a thousand and one struggles i cast my eyes once more on the beautiful whale and i confess that i found in her features an inexpressible charm i threw myself on my knees close to the bath and taking her hand no divine princess said i to her i will not skin you i would rather marry you at these words joy lightened up the countenance of the princess but a modest joy for she colored and casting down her beautiful eyes i shall never forget said she the service that you render me i am so penetrated with gratitude that you may expect anything of me after this generous resolution do not lose time cried the insupportable citronette tell him quickly all that he must do it is sufficient said the whale princess blushing again that you give me your ring and that you should take mine there is my hand receive it as a pledge of my faith 
I had hardly made this tender exchange and kissed the beautiful hand which she presented to me when I found myself again upon my horse in the midst of the forest. Having called my people, they came to me, and I returned home without being able to utter a word. I was so completely astonished. Since then, I am transported every night, without knowing how, into the beautiful green saloon, where I pass the night near an invisible person. She speaks to me, and tells me that the time has not yet come for me to know who she is. Ah, oh, my son, interrupted the queen, is it possible, then, that you are really married to her? I am, madame, replied the prince. But although I love my wife infinitely, I would have sacrificed this affection if I could have escaped from the saloon without resorting to that alternative. At these words, a little voice, proceeding from the queen's pocket, said, Prince Serful, you should have flayed her. Perhaps your pity may be fatal to you. The prince, surprised at this voice, remained speechless. The queen, in vain, tried to conceal from him the cause of his astonishment. He felt quickly in her pocket, which was hanging open upon the armchair near the bed, and drew from it the toothpick case, which the queen took from his hand and opened. The princess Camion immediately came out of it, and the astonished prince threw himself on his knees by the bedside of the queen to inspect her nearer. "'I vow, madam,' cried he, "'that this is my dear whale in miniature.' Is this some pleasantry, and have you only wished to frighten me by allowing me so long to believe that you would not approve of my marriage? No, my son, at length the queen replied. My grief is real, and you have exposed us to the most cruel misfortunes by marrying that whale, for, in fact, you were promised to the princess Camion, who you see in my hands. She then related to him what had passed between her and the fairy Marmot and the prince allowed her to say all she wished without interruption. So much was he astonished to find that she and his father had agreed to a proposition which was, on the face of it, so ridiculous. "'Heaven forbid, madame,' said he at length, when the queen was finished, "'that I should ever oppose the designs of your majesty, or that I should act contrary to the wish of the king, my father, even when he commands me to do anything as impossible as this appears to me to be.' But, had I consented, could I even have fallen in love with this pretty princess? Would your subjects ever have— Time is a great teacher, Prince Zerfel, interrupted Camion. But it is done. You cannot now marry me, and my godmother appears to me a person who will not patiently suffer anyone to break their word with her. Diminutive as I am, I feel as acutely as the largest woman would the disagreeable nature of this adventure. But as you are not so much to blame, except perhaps for having been a little too hasty, I may persuade the fairy to mitigate the punishment. After these words, Camion was silent, for she was exhausted with having said so much. My dear darling, said the queen, I implore you to take some repose, for fear you should be ill and not in a condition to speak to the fairy when she comes to afflict us. You are our consolation, and however she may punish us, I shall not feel it so deeply if Marmat does not take you from us. The Princess Camion felt her little heart beat at these words of the Queen, but, being quite overcome, she could only kiss her hand and let it fall upon some tiny tears. Zerfel was moved at this incident, and begged Camion to permit him to kiss her hand in his turn. She gave it to him with much grace and dignity, and then re-entered her case. After this tender scene, the queen rose, 
in order to go and tell the king what had passed, and take every rational precaution against the anger of the fairy. The following night Zerfel, in spite of the guard which they had doubled in his apartment, was carried off at midnight and found himself, as usual, in the company of his invisible wife. But, instead of hearing any of those sweet and touching things which she was accustomed to say to him, he heard her weep, and found she kept aloof from him. "'What have I done?' said he at last, when quite tired of pursuing her. "'You weep, dear princess, when you ought to console me for all the peril I may have incurred, and the effect of my tenderness.' "'I know all,' said the princess, with a voice interrupted by sobs. "'I know all the misery that may happen to me, but, ungrateful man, it is of you I have most to complain.' "'Oh, heavens!' cried Zerfel. "'What have you to reproach me with?' "'The love which Camion bears to you,' replied the voice, "'and the tenderness with which you have kissed her hand.' "'The tenderness,' replied the prince quickly, Oh, divine princess, do you know so little of that I feel for you as to accuse me so lightly? Besides, even if Camion could love me, which is impossible, as she only saw me for a moment, can you be alarmed, knowing my love for you, and after the proofs which I have given you of my attachment? It is you whom I should accuse of injustice, for if I have looked at her with any attention, it is because her features reminded me of yours." and that being deprived of the pleasure of beholding you, anything which resembled you gave me the greatest gratification. Be visible again, my dear princess, and I will never look on any other woman. The invisible lady appeared to be consoled by these words, and approaching the prince said, Pardon me in this little movement of jealousy. I have too much reason to fear they will separate me from you, not to feel afflicted by a circumstance which appeared to me to announce the commencement of that misfortune. But, said the prince, may I not know why you are no longer permitted to show yourself? For if I have delivered you from the tyranny of Marmet, how is it possible that you should be again subjected to it? Alas, said the invisible princess, if you had decided to flay me, we should have been very happy. But you had such a horror of that proposition that I did not dare press you further on the subject. By what chance, interrupted the prince, was Camion informed of this adventure, for she told me nearly the same thing. Hardly had he finished these words when the princess uttered a frightful shriek. The prince, in surprise, rose hastily. But what was his alarm when, in the middle of the apartment, he perceived the hideous Marmot, who held by the hair the beautiful princess, now no longer either half a whale or invisible. He was about to seize his sword when the princess, in tears, begged him to moderate his anger, for it would be of no avail against the power of the fairy, and the horrible Marmot, grinding her teeth, emitted through them a blue flame which scorched his beard. "'Prince Zerfel,' she said to him, "'a fairy who protects thee prevents me from exterminating thee, thy father, thy mother, and all that belong to thee.' but thou shalt suffer at least in all that is most dear to thee, for having married without having consulted me, and thy torment shall never finish, nor that of thy princess, until thou shalt have obeyed my commands. In finishing these words, the fairy, the princess, the chamber, and the palace all disappeared together, and he found himself in his own apartment, in his nightdress, and his sword in his hand. He was so astonished and so transported with rage that he did not feel the severity of the cold, though it was in the depth of winter. 
at the noise which he made his guards entered the room and begged him to go to bed or to allow them to dress him he took the latter course and went to the queen's chamber who on her part had passed the night in the most cruel state of anxiety she had not been able to sleep after going to bed and in order to induce slumber she had wished to talk over her grief with little camion but she sought in vain for her in her case camion was no longer there she feared she might have lost her in the garden she rose and having ordered flambeau to be lighted went in search of her but without success she had entirely disappeared and the queen retired to bed again in an alarming state of affliction she gave fresh vent to it as her son entered he was so distressed himself that he did not perceive the tears of the queen she on her part observing his agitation exclaimed ah without doubt you have come to announce to me some dreadful tidings yes madam replied the prince i come to tell you that i shall die if i do not find my princess how said the queen do you already my dear son love that unhappy princess what your camion said the prince can you suspect me madame of such a thing i speak of my dear whale princess who has been torn from me it is for her alone that i live and it is marmot the cruel marmot who has carried her away oh my son said the queen i am far more unhappy than you for if they have taken your princess away from you they have robbed me of my camion since last evening she has disappeared from her case they then related to each other their respective adventures and wept together over their common misfortunes the king was informed of the cries and despair of the queen and the grief of his son he entered the apartment in which this tragic scene was passing and he was an exceedingly clever man the thought occurred to him immediately of advertising camion with the offer of a large reward to whoever should bring her back everybody agreed this was a capital idea and even the queen in spite of her great grief was obliged to confess that no one of ordinary capacity could have imagined so singular an expedient the handbills were printed and distributed and the queen became rather calm in the hope of soon hearing some tidings of her little princess as for zirphil the loss of camion interested him no more than her presence he resolved to seek a fairy of whom he had heard speak he asked permission of the king and queen and departed with a single equerry in attendance on him it was a great distance from that country to the one inhabited by the fairy but neither time nor obstacles could check the fond impatience of the youthful zirphil he passed through states and kingdoms without number nothing particular happened to him because he did not desire it for being handsome as cupid and brave as his own sword he would have had no lack of adventures had he sought for them at length after a year's travelling he arrived at the commencement of the desert wherein the fairy had fixed her abode he dismounted from his horse and left his equerry in the little cottage with orders to await him there and not to be impatient he entered the desert which was frightful from its solitude screech owls alone inhabited it but their cries did not alarm the valiant spirit of our prince one evening he perceived at a distance a light which made him think he was approaching the grotto for who but a fairy could live in such a horrible desert he walked all night long at length at break of day he discovered the famous grotto but a lake of fire separated him from it and all his valor could not protect him from the flames which spread right and left he looked about for a long time to see what he could do and his courage nearly failed him when he found that there was not even a bridge despair proved his best friend for in a frenzy of love and anguish he resolved to end his days in the lake if he could not traverse it 
No sooner had he taken this strange resolution than he put it in execution, and throwing himself bodily into the flames, he felt a little gentle warmth which did not even inconvenience him, and passed without the least trouble to the other side. Hardly had he landed, when a young and beautiful salamander regarded him from the lake, and said, Prince Zerfel, if your love be as great as your courage, you may hope for everything from the fairy Luminess. She favors you, but she wishes to prove you. Zerfel made a profound bow to the salamander in acknowledgment, for she did not give him time to speak. She plunged again into the flames, and he pursued his way. He arrived at length at the foot of a rock of prodigious height, from which its great brilliancy appeared all on fire. It was a carbuncle so large that the fairy was very commodiously lodged in the inside. As soon as the prince approached, Luminess came out of the rock. He prostrated himself before her, she raised him and made him enter the grotto. "'Prince Zerfel,' said she, "'a powerful equal to mine has neutralized the benefits I bestowed on you at your birth, but you may hope for everything from my care. It requires as much patience as courage to foil the wickedness of Marmont. I can tell you nothing more.' "'At least, madame,' replied the prince, "'do me the favor to inform me if my beautiful princess is unhappy, and if I may hope to see her again soon.' "'She is not unhappy,' replied the fairy. "'But you cannot see her till you have pounded her in the mortar of the King of Whiting.' "'Oh, heavens!' cried the prince. "'Is she in his power? "'And have I to dread not only the consequences of his passion, "'but the still greater horror of pounding her with my own hands?' "'Summon up your courage,' replied the fairy, "'and do not hesitate to obey. "'Upon that depends all your happiness and that of your wife.' "'But she will die if I pound her,' said the prince." and I would rather die myself. Away, said the fairy, and do not argue. Each moment that you lose adds to the fury of Marmot. Go and seek the king of the whiting, and tell him you are the page I promised to send him, and rely on my protection. She then pointed out to him on a map the road he must take to reach the dominions of the king of the whiting, and took her leave of him. After having informed him that the ring which the princess had given him would show him all he had to do whenever the king commanded him to execute a difficult task. He departed, and after some days traveling arrived in a meadow which stretched down to the sea, to the shore of which was moored a small sailing vessel of mother-of-pearl and gold. He looked at his ruby and saw himself in it going on board the vessel. He therefore stepped into it, and after having cast off, the wind took it out to sea. After some hours' sail, the vessel brought up at the foot of a crystal castle, built upon wooden piles. He jumped ashore, and entered a courtyard, which led through a magnificent vestibule to apartments without number, the walls of which were of rock crystal, admirably cut, and which produced the most beautiful effect in the world. The castle appeared to be inhabited only by men with fishes' heads of all species. He felt convinced this was the dwelling of the King of the Whiting, and shuddered with rage but he restrained himself so far as to inquire of a turbot, who had the air of being a captain of the guard, how he could imagine to see the king of the whiting. The man turbot very gravely made him a signal to advance, and he entered the guard chamber, where he saw under arms a thousand men with pike's heads, who formed in line for him to pass. At length, after making his way through an infinite crowd of menfish, he came to the throne room. There was not much noise, for the courtiers were all dumb, the greater part having Whiting's heads. He saw several who appeared of more consequence than the rest from the crowd which surrounded them, and by the air which they assumed with the others. They arrived at the king's cabinet, 
out of which he saw the council issue, composed of twelve men who had sharks' heads. The king at length appeared himself. He had a whiting's head, like many of the others, but he had fins on his shoulders, and from his waist downwards he was a veritable whiting. He could speak. He wore only a scarf made of the skin of goldfish, which was very brilliant, and a helmet in the form of a crown, out of which arose a codfish's tail, which formed the plume. Four whiting carried him in a bowl of Japanese porcelain, as large as a bath, full of seawater. His greatest pride consisted in causing it to be filled twice a day by the dukes and peers of his kingdom. This office was extremely sought after. The king of the whiting was very large and had more the air of a monster than anything else. When he had spoken to some of those who had presented him with petitions, he perceived the prince. "'How are you, my friend?' said he to him. "'By what chance do I see a man here?' "'My lord,' said Zerfel, "'I am the page the fairy Luminess had promised you.' "'I know what she means,' said the king, laughing, showing his teeth like those of a saw. "'Lead him into my seraglio, and let him teach my crayfish to talk.' Immediately a troop of whiting surrounded him, and conducted him according to the king's orders. In returning through the apartments, all the fish— even those the highest in favor professed by various signs a great deal of friendship for him. They led him through a delicious garden, at the end of which was a charming pavilion, built entirely of mother-of-pearl and ornamented with great branches of coral. The favorite whiting introduced him into an apartment similarly adorned, the windows of which overlooked a magnificent piece of water. They made him understand that that was to be his residence, and after having shown him a little chamber at one corner of the saloon, which he understood was to be his bedroom, they retired, and he remained alone, very much astonished to find himself very like a prisoner in the palace of his rival. He was meditating on this position of affairs when he saw the doors of the chamber open, and ten or twelve thousand crayfish, conducted by one larger than the rest, entered and placed themselves in straight lines which nearly filled the apartment. The one which marched at the head mounted upon a table near him and said, Prince, I know you, and you owe much to my care. But, as it is rare to find gratitude in men, I would not tell you what I have done for you, for fear you should destroy the sentiments with which you have inspired me. I have only, therefore, to inform you that these are the crayfish of the King of the Whiting, and that they alone speak in this empire, and that you are chosen to teach them a refined language, the customs of the world, and the means of pleasing their sovereign. You will find them intelligent, but you must every morning choose ten to pound in the King's mortar to make his broth." The crayfish having ceased speaking, the prince replied, "'I had no idea, madam, that you had interested yourself in my concerns. The gratitude I already feel towards you should induce you to abandon the bad opinion you have conceived of men in general, since on the bare assurance which you have given me of your friendship I feel deeply obligated to you. But what I am very anxious to learn is the course I should take in reasoning with the persons whose education you would confide to me.' If I were sure that they had as much intellect as you, I should have no trouble, and I should feel a pride in the task, but the more difficult I should find them to teach, the less should I have the courage to punish them for faults for which they are not responsible. And having lived with them, how can I have the heart to deliver them to a torture? You are obstinate and a great talker, interrupted the crayfish, but we know how to subdue you. So saying, she rose from the table, and jumping to the ground, took her real form of marmette, for she was that wicked fairy. "'Oh, heavens!' cried the prince. "'So this is the person who boasts of the interest she takes in my affairs, she who has done nothing but make me miserable. "'Ah, Luminous,' continued he, "'you abandon me!' 
He had hardly finished these words when Marmette precipitated herself by the window into the reservoir and disappeared, and he remained alone with the twelve thousand crayfish. After having meditated a little on how he should proceed to educate them, during which time they waited in complete silence, it occurred to him that he might very probably find amongst them his beautiful and unfortunate princess, because the hideous Marmette had ordered him to pound ten of them every morning. "'And why should I be selected to pound them?' said he, "'if it not be to drive me distracted.' "'Never mind. Let us look for her,' continued he, rising. "'Let us at least try to recognize her, even if I die of grief before her eyes.' Then he asked the crayfish if they would kindly permit him to search amongst them for one of his acquaintance. "'We know nothing about it, my lord,' said the first who spoke. "'But you can make what inquiry you please up to the time of your return to the reservoir, for we must positively pass the night there.' Zerfel commenced his inspection. The more he sought, the less he discovered. But he surmised, from the few words which he drew from those he interrogated, that they were all princesses transformed by the wickedness of Marmot. This caused him inconsolable grief, for he had to choose ten for the king's broth. End of section 30 Recording by Robert Robinson